So I'm really excited about preaching this morning because I'm preaching to real live people. Woo! It's been 18 months of preaching to that camera and not once has it got saved. I've been quite gutted. I've preached some messages and we haven't had any salvation from the camera, but today could be your day camera in Jesus' name. But I'm excited about sharing a word with you today. I'm feeling passionate, so I'm going to not run off stage too much so I can be on camera. But I've got a message for you that God's given me. So it starts with a story because we all love a story, don't we? So at my youngest daughter's school recently, they've been learning all about the Great Fire of London. And to bring this story alive to the children, they started to do a reenactment day. And they got all the parents involved. So I checked my diary. I was like, I was free that day. Rude not to go and part, be part of the reenactment day. So to be fair, it was absolutely brilliant. It's a company called History Off the Page. And they got the kids to dress up. And they started to learn all about life in 1666. And we had to do all this like role play. The lady who ran it was so enthusiastic. And I didn't realize that when I got roped into it, I'd have to play one of the leading roles. I was Jane, and I ran one of the bakeries at the time. Not the one that burnt down, because I was a bit more cautious. But she kept getting me to say stuff. And I didn't realize we were going to go into this sort of like acting mode, but then I got really into it. So she's like, Jane, I expect business is going to be booming now since the other bakeries burnt down. And I'm like, oh, yes, I'm counting all my profits. And I'm like, what currency was it in 1666? I was like, yes, I've got all that money that was there. And, and I kept role playing with this lady and the kids were so into it. And then I had to bake real bread that they all then took home and said they were going to cook. I was like, oh, this is not COVID friendly, all this bread making, all little hands. But it was absolutely brilliant. But I learned a lot about the Great Fire of London because it was so visual and so did the children. So did you know that the fire was so devastating, it lasted for four days and it burnt down over 13,200 houses, 87 churches and St Paul's Cathedral and the rest. It was a devastating fire. And the reason it was so devastating is because the southeasterly wind was so strong and because it kept blowing, the fire kept going. The oxygen, the direction of the wind kept the fire blowing and it was devastating. That teamed with the timber houses meant that the fire was just awful. And it got me thinking about the fire stopped when the wind change direction and it got me thinking about spiritual fire because you know when we become Christians when we realize all that Jesus has done for us on the cross and we come into that relationship with him and salvation we are meant to be the most fiery zealous fervent people on this planet we are called to be so fiery and so passionate that's what we're called to be we're not called to be like hi I'm Sarah and I'm a Christian I should be like, hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm a Christian, and I'm so fiery. I'm more passionate than the woman from history off the page because I am fiery about my faith and all that my God has done for me. We are called to be zealous and fiery. In fact, Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And that word fervor means intense and passionate feeling. So we're called to be intense and passionate about our faith. 
We're called to be on fire for God. We're called to be wherever we go, bringing that trail of fire that Dan has just shared with us because we're passionate about Jesus, despite what life looks like, despite circumstances, we're called to be on fire and passionate. And I don't know if you can remember when you were first, first became a Christian or perhaps somebody recently in your life has first become a Christian. They are full of it, aren't they? They are the first in church and they are the last out of church. Every meeting that is on, they are there. They are permanently there with like, yes, praise you, Jesus. I'm on fire for you. They are passionate about the word of God. They're passionate about every podcast that they can listen to at every moment. They're in that traffic jam on the M25, but they've got Joyce Mayer playing in the car and they're there. They're passionate and full of zeal and fervor for the Lord. But then slowly, as life takes over, the passion starts to dismiss, dismiss, what's the word I'm looking for? It starts to fizzle out. It starts to be less passionate. And maybe today you feel like, do you know what? I'm so full of zeal and I'm full of passion and I'm for God and I'm as passionate as I was when I became a Christian those years ago. And I'm saying that's amazing because there's always more in God. But if today you feel like, actually, if I'm really honest and I evaluate my passion and my hunger for God and my focus on God, it's not as passionate as it was. If you're honest today with that, and that can be all sorts of reasons because life happens, doesn't it? We go through situations and circumstances and things happen. And maybe we didn't even intentionally do it. But somewhere along the line, our focus has got off Jesus and all that he's done for us. And it's fizzled out into life's problems and issues. And then COVID hit and it changed everything. And in that time, it was like, well, I'm not in church and I'm not using my gifts how I would do in a church situation or in my family. And watching it online has been difficult. And I don't feel that connection with God. And if I'm honest, reading my Bible got pushed to the side because Netflix was more exciting. And if I'm honest, my prayer life is okay, but it's not where it was because my passion and my zeal to pray is not where it was. And I found it difficult. I mean, I look at that person and think they've got it and they know how to do it. What about my passion and my zeal? And I haven't meant to. And God, I love you. And I love what you've given me to do in this life, what you've equipped me to do. But somewhere along the line, it's not how it used to be. If I'm honest, it's been tough. If I'm honest, I felt isolated. If I'm honest, I know God's there, but I'm not in that place I was. My heart connection isn't as strong as it was. And maybe the fire, the flames are not flickering like they used to. And maybe if I'm honest, my zeal and passion is gone. But I have good news for you today, church. I have good news because just like with a natural fire, who's been camping? I know Z and Zell put their hands up at the back there. They are the super duper campers. You need to know anything about camping? See these two. But you know a campfire, the old fashioned campfire. Io's there with his guitar singing a bit of Kumbaya. You know, we've got the flames are flickering, it is on fire. But it starts to die down and the flames aren't there, but the heat of the fire's there. But underneath those twigs, and wood that you've put on the fire are the embers. And the embers don't need a match to start them up again. All they need is you to get down and to blow, to blow on the embers. And the oxygen in your breath ignites the fire again. 
and the flames start to get heat within them. They start to lick up the wood. Then you place more wood on that fire and suddenly you have a roaring fire again. You didn't need to get the fire lighters out. You just need to blow on the embers. And so today I want to encourage you that if you're feeling like I was a bit more fiery back then, Lord, but I want to be fiery again and have that passion and zeal for your name again. I want to be in that place where my heart connects with your heart and I'm just on fire. That if you desire to be in that place again, it just needs blowing on. And the way that we can do that is ask the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God to come and blow on the embers of our hearts to ignite and give us that passion again. That whatever the season we've gone through, that we can be the people that will say, okay, God, this is what it looks like, but you are God and I trust you with my life. I'm positioning my heart to connect with your heart and I'm saying blow on my passion, blow on my zeal so that I can be a great witness for you again. So come on, the power of the Holy Spirit, that blow. Isn't it interesting that COVID literally took the breath of people away? That's what it does. It, it ruins your lungs and you can't breathe and you gasp for breath. But in this season, I'm saying and declaring that the Holy Spirit will blow life again into the lives of the church and of his people. Come on. We can get our fires reignited again. And how do we do that? We allow the Holy Spirit to blow on the embers, but we say, here I am. Do you know all God wants is you? All he wants is you. All he wants is relationship with you. All he wants is you to come into his presence, to be at one with him, to talk everything out with him. He knows it all anyway. So why do we not get in his presence? Well, I can't go there with that. He knows it anyway. But he calls us into his presence and he's calling us into his presence in a new, fresh way so he can blow on the embers of our heart and get us the most passionate, fiery, zealous Christians that we can be. We can be the best version of what God has called us to. I want to remind you today that you have purpose. Do you know your first and foremost purpose, what you were born for, is relationship with Jesus. That's what he created you for. He wants to spend time with you. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants to love on you. He wants to build your life. It's not about your um, company. It's not about your role, your marriage, your family. Of course, that's all important. But first and foremost, it's about our relationship with Jesus. That's the purpose we're for, to worship him. That's why we're created. So I want to encourage you in that. And secondly, that everybody here under the sound of my voice, you have purpose. You have giftings that God has given you, so uniquely just for you, just marked out just for you to do. You have a calling on this earth to complete that only you can complete. And God has given you, he's equipped you with everything you need to be all that he's called you to be. Isn't that incredible? There's nobody here that God has given a gift to that is impossible for you to achieve without his help and his guidance. He's given you stuff to do. And I want to encourage you in the gift and calling on your life. And what are you doing with that gift and calling? Are you going to get fiery and passionate about what God has called you to do? And everybody here, we've all got different gifts. But as we bring them to the table and as we work together, it creates a glorious, passionate church on fire for Jesus. You know, assignments change, but purpose never changes. 
And you might go through seasons, there might be something you have done for God for many, many years, and that's how your gift was operating. But it might change in this season because God wants to get something else out of your gift. He wants to position you in a different place for such a time as this. But there's always purpose, and it might change as we go through life. We go through different seasons of life, but your purpose always remains. And I want to encourage someone today who feels like, well, I, yeah, I've been given this gift, but I haven't really know what to do with it, or where do I sew it in, or how do I use it at home, or in church, or in my family, or it feels like that's how I used to operate, and now it's so different, but God is saying, come to me, and I will reignite that fire for your gift, and your calling for your purpose now. There's people whose lives are dependent on you using your gift, and you being fiery and passionate so that they can see Jesus, that our purpose is called to point the way to Jesus through our lives, so I want to encourage you in your gift this morning. In the Bible, we have a great story of the Apostle Paul, who encourages a young man called Timothy. And we all know about the Apostle Paul, and one of his gifts was an encourager. And he'd gone about on mission, and he'd come across this young man called Timothy. He was from a line of Christians on his mother's side and his grandmother, and he had a passion and a zeal for God and his house. And Paul saw this in him. Paul spent time with him. He even prayed for him about his gifts. And at this time in the story that we pick it up, that Paul is actually in prison. He's on death row in a horrific prison. We think of prisons today. Prisons back then were not a place you'd want to be in. And literally in his place of despair and his place of confinement and of being locked down, he chose to use the gift of encouragement in his life to encourage somebody else. And he writes a letter to Timothy. And we find this in 2 Timothy 1 verses 6 to 7. He says, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. He's encouraging Timothy. You know, can I remind you of that gift? I prayed for you and we laid hands on you as leaders in the church and you've got a gift on your life. You've got a zeal and a passion for God and I want to encourage you to use it in the church. And then he's saying here that, you know, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or, but he's given us a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline or the other version of it says God's not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love and a sound mind. And you know to walk this walk we're walking church, to, to be Christians, to be on fire, to use our gifts, there can be times when fear sets in, when timidity sets in, how can I step out in that? When our mind gets messed up with the words of the enemy that you'll never amount to anything, that you're not good enough. How can God use you with all the stuff you've got going on that nobody else knows about? We get the accuser comes to us all the time because he wants to knock out the flames. He wants to pour water on the fire that's in us and say, okay, I'll just stay still. I won't do anything with my gift. And this verse is telling us that we don't live with a spirit of fear but of power, of love and a sound mind. And that we come into that relationship with Christ, say, okay, you've given me this to do. I want to walk out this life passionate and on fire for you, but I'm scared. But it's okay to feel fear, but it's not okay to stay there. But it's to say, God, I'm going to use what you've given me and I'm going to run this race for you well. And I'm going to push on in my passion and zealousness for your house, for you, Jesus. And I'm going to do what I'm called to do. So I want to encourage you this morning about that. There's something in the power of encouragement. 
There's Paul chained, writing this letter to Timothy in awful conditions. And he's writing about the freedom of someone else. Do you know, through your pain, through the disappointment, through the stuff you're going through, who are you going to look out to and encourage them in their gift? Because I tell you, when you do that, someone else will encourage you. Because that's how God works it all together for good, for those who love him. And I want to encourage you. Let's be encouragers. Let's be that bunch of people that will just spur each other on. Say, come on, go for it. Yes, push that door. Yeah, don't stay there. Yes, it's scary to grab the mic or it's scary to pray for someone, but do it. Let's push each other on. Let's stir each other on to fan into flame the gifts that are on our lives. Come on, we are a passionate bunch of people. You are gifted. I want to remind you of the gifts the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians and in Romans 12. And I'm going to speak about them a bit later on. But you have got gifts on your life. And if you don't know what you're gifted to, go to the Father and find out. Get around people and find out. Start doing something. You'll soon know. If you put in the children's ministry, you'll soon know whether you, know, you come out screaming and tearing your hair out. It's probably not for you. You'll soon know, but do something with what God has called you to do. You know, if every day is a gift from God, it's a famous thing, isn't it? Every day is a gift from God. What are we going to do with the gift of that day to gift it back to him? What are we going to do? Because we've got something to do. Come on, passionate, zealous church. But maybe as I'm talking, you feel like, yeah, do you know what? I have lost my zeal a bit. I have lost my passion for God in his house. And to be honest, even to get here today, perhaps you think that's, that's quite an effort. It was easier watching it at home. But you've made it today. So give yourself a round of applause for being in the house this morning. But maybe you feel like, yeah, I know I've got a call on my life, but I'm busy and I'm tired, and I don't know where to start, and I've got this, and I've got that, and we're looking at all this stuff we've got. But we need to come back to that place of saying, yes, God, I want to be connected with you. Maybe we feel a bit locked out. You know, you ever gone through that season, if we're honest, where you feel like, God, I'm speaking, and, and are you speaking back to me? Am I hearing you? I'm praying, and I'm asking for this, and I'm pushing that door, and I need direction, and I'm waiting on your voice, and I'm like, I can't hear you. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you feel a bit locked out. Maybe you feel lost and locked out. But there's always a way back home, church. There's always a way back home because we have a loving, passionate father whose zeal for us was so great that he sent his only son to die in our place that we might have relationship with God. We have a, a father in heaven who is so doting on us and so calls us back like the, the father of the prodigal son that stands there. He doesn't be like, huh, it's been a while since you've been in my presence. I've been counting the days. His arms are open to draw us back into his presence. He waits on us. There's always a way back home. So if you feel a bit locked out today and like, how do I get back into his presence? I want to encourage you. There's always a way back home. And I'll share a story with you. And in many ways, I can laugh at this story now, but I couldn't at the time, of when I was locked out of my house. So I'll set the scene for you because we love a story, don't we? So many years ago, Dan and I, in the first house that we lived in when we got married, um, we lived a two up, two down, and we had a dog called Buster, and he was a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Some of you remember Buster. And he was a strong dog. And it was one Saturday, Dan was away playing football all day and would be back quite late at night. And so I was excited about the day I'd planned. I'd got all my list of what I needed to do. And I was going to take Buster for a walk and then had all this stuff I was going to do. 
winner, winner, chicken dinner. I was like, excited about this day. Anyway, so I thought, right, I'll get up early, take Buster out for his walk. And we'd go to this field near our house, huge, great big field with a big hill. And we had this routine with the dog. So he literally took me for walks, he's so strong. So I'm one of them people that's walking along with the dog. We'd get to the field and I'd let him off his lead. He would run right in the center to the top of the hill, do a whole lap around the field with the woods on the outside, come back to me, then we'd walk it and go back home. That was our routine. So got to the field, normal Saturday morning, did the routine, let him off, shot off like Usain Bolt, up the middle, round, came back to me. We walked the field, lovely warm sun, summer's day, need to set the scene for you. He comes back, we've done our walk. I'm like, right, Buster, let's go home now. We get on with what we've got to do. At that moment, I did the pat down. Where's my key? Have not got my front door key. I've got no phone. No handbag, no money, no access to anything, and no key in a huge big field with a hill. There I am with this panting dog who wants water. I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? So, literally trying to find the key, looking around. Then panic sets in, doesn't it? Start to walk about a bit. Where's the key? Where's the key? No one about, just me, the dog, no key. Locked out, feeling lost. And then, why does your mind go to that place of feeling like scenarios come to mind, don't they? So, I'm like, okay. I know what I can do. My mum's house is probably three miles from here. I'll walk. Oh no, they're on holiday. Terry and Linda, mum and dad to me, they lived in a village outside of Colchester. Could have walked there, but probably would have got lost on the way and not found my way. So I was like, I can't do that. I've got no money. There's no phone boxes anymore. What am I going to do? This scenario builds up. Okay, the neighbour. The neighbour to the left of me, I know she's gone out for the day. She's gone to Alton Towers with her kids. Okay, then my only other option is the neighbour to the right of me. He was an elderly gentleman, and we will call him an eccentric person. A person who always had a story to tell. Sort of person you wouldn't particularly want to wait until 10 o'clock at night when your husband came home from work, uh, from football. So I was like, oh, what do I do? I thought, well, he's quirky, he's weird. But the way he's so quirky is every time we'd go out of our front door and we'd talk to this gentleman, he'd say, come over here and have a look at my cat, Tiddles. Tiddles can talk, don't you know? So me and Dan, every time we'd go through the routine, we'd have to, you know, engage with him. Tiddles, tell the lovely neighbours what you want for dinner. Do you want fish or chicken? Fish or chicken? He'd look at Tiddles and look at us. He said, he'll reply in a minute. Because Tiddles didn't reply. Tiddles never said fish or chicken. And we'd do this all the time. And even to the point of it's really bad, really bad Christianisms, by the way. But I would sometimes come out of my house and pretend I was on the phone so I didn't have to encounter the cat and the fish and chicken. So I thought, imagine a whole day at this neighbour's house. You know, the dog would turn up and Buster would go, she lost the key. And Tiddles would go, do you want fish or chicken? And I thought, I can't handle a whole day of fish and chicken. What am I going to do? So this was going through my mind. And then panic sets in, doesn't it? Literally, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here all day. The dog will die of heat exhaustion. I've got no money. I've got no food. It's like my pet's heads are falling off. It's like a scene from Dumb and Dumber. I was like, what am I going to do? So then I did what I should have done in the first place. And I prayed. Why is it we do that in the last place? We let the scenario run through our mind. We let fear set in. We let scenarios appear in our mind and we should have just prayed. Because then I did pray. I said, oh Jesus, I'm locked out. I don't know what to do. Please help me find my key. And with that, and this is exactly what happened, and this is a miracle. With that, Buster then ran from where we were at the bottom of the field right to the top of the hill and he sat down. 
And initially I thought, oh no, he thinks we're going round two of the walk again. So I went trundling up the hill after him and he was sat at the top of the hill and next to him was my front door key. That is the absolute truth of it. And I just to this day, I'm always like, God, you are so good. The key was there and I'm like, Pastor, we found the key. I was like, it's amazing. And he went, yeah, I want some fish and some chicken. And I was like, oh, we've got the key. And suddenly I had access. Suddenly I could go back to my house. And literally that day I skipped around doing my jobs. You know, one of those people hoovering with the legs. Oh, I was just like so excited that I could get on and then go out and see my friends, whatever I was doing. But I had access again. And I want to tell you there's a way back into the presence of God because you have access, that you are not locked out. The enemy will tell you that. He'll build up scenarios in your mind of stories, but you are always welcome into the presence of God because you're his son and you're his daughter and he dotes on you and he loves you and he says come back into my presence and this happened with Peter in the Bible Peter was one of the most passionate zealous disciples of Jesus he was the one who was one day fishing on the sea of Galilee and Jesus came and said follow me and I'll make you fishers of men so he left his business, his livelihood, what he'd done just like that and started following Jesus. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. But he saw something in Jesus and he decided to follow him. He was so passionate about Jesus. When Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Peter knew. He'd spent three years on mission with Jesus. He'd seen miracle upon miracle. He'd heard the word of God spoken to him with God with skin on in Jesus. He had been around this man and he was so passionate for his God. So passionate to the point of when Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. It was Peter who drew his sword and sliced off the ear of the guard. You can't take my Jesus away. And then Jesus healed the ear of the guard. He was so passionate, so zealous for Jesus. And when Jesus said, but Peter, you'll be the one that denies me. How not me, God? I can't deny you ever. No, you're my Jesus. I die for you. And yet when push come to shove, when fear and timidity set in to the heart of Peter, what happened when they'd arrested Jesus and were taking him off to be crucified? The girl who was around a campfire in the center of the town said, aren't you one of the ones? Aren't you one of the ones that was following that Jesus? No, it wasn't me. And three times he denied his saviour and then bitterly wept when the cockerel crowed and he realised what he had done. So there's Peter, a week and a half after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter has gone back to the day job. He's gone back to the familiar. He's back on the Sea of Galilee with his mates in a boat fishing and they've not caught anything not a tiddler not a fish at all they're fishing and then suddenly there's a stranger who appears on the shore of the sea of Galilee and this stranger says have you caught anything guys you caught any fish no we've not caught any fish at that moment do you think Peter thought this sounds quite familiar because do you remember when he was out on the boat before and Jesus appeared and said have you caught anything cast your nets on the right hand side of the boat do you think in that moment Peter thought am I having a really bad moment here this is like so familiar it's happening again but Jesus said cast your nets on the right side of the boat and as he cast his nets on the right side of the boat there was 153 fish were hauled in onto that boat and in that moment, something dropped in the heart of Peter, the one who'd been passionate. 
and zealous about his Jesus. And he looked over and suddenly he recognized it was Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't look the same as Jesus did before. But something in the heart connection of Peter to his master, to his king, knew it was Jesus. So Peter hitched up his garments and he got outside of the boat and he waded in the water and he went over to Jesus. And he didn't go over sheepish like, oh, oh hi, it's me, you know, the one who denied you three times. And I'm, and I'm here and I'm really sorry about that. You see, fear set in and I feared for my life and thought I couldn't carry on with my mission because he didn't do any of that. Because Jesus just welcomed him in. And you know what Jesus did? On a coal fire with logs, he cooked them fish. There was no option for fish or chicken that morning because it was just fresh fish from the sea. But he put fish on a charcoal fire, like the one that Peter had denied him by. Isn't it? There's so many keys in the Bible, guys. There's so many little things we have to really read and look into for revelation. And at that moment, Jesus did something so amazing for Peter, the one who denied him, the one who was so passionate and zealous for his God. But at the moment he got confronted and fearful, he denied his Christ. But at this moment, Jesus started to reinstate Peter. He welcomed him in. I imagine it. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell you, but I'm very visual and I love to imagine the story. I imagine as Peter suddenly realized that was his Jesus. And he started to walk over. I think Jesus wouldn't have been like, back then. No, I think Jesus' face would have been like, Peter. There would have been an embrace. There would have been a hug. There would have been that moment because you're coming back, coming back into my presence. He welcomed him. And then he reinstated him. We'll read this in John 21, verses 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Peter denied Jesus three times. And three times, Jesus has given Peter the opportunity. Do you love me? Do you love me? Of course he did, but there's that moment in Peter like, you know I love you and I love you and yet I did deny you, but Jesus was making it all right. He said, I know that. He said, I know your ways. I know what's happened, but I still love you. And I still have purpose. And I still have gifting. And I still have a passion for you, Peter. And I want to reinstate you. And he was reinstating him by saying, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Because Peter was to be an apostle and a leader in the church. You know, when Acts happened, when the Holy Spirit came and the fire of God, that wind of the Spirit was felt. And you know the story in the word of when they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the church was birthed. And Peter was the one then that spoke a message. He preached his first sermon and 3,000 people came to Jesus. 3,000 people realized the truth of his message. His zeal and passion came back. It was restored and he said, Peter, build my church church feed my sheep feed my people feed my lambs he reinstated what was lost and Peter went on to have an amazing ministry under Jesus isn't that incredible and the thing is if God can do that for him and restore the zeal and the passion and the purpose for Peter he can do it for you 
and I. And that's what I want to remind you today. But there's something that we need to do. We can have the breath of the Holy Spirit. We can have him inspire us again and fire us up again. But then we've got to do something for ourselves. And we need to be the ones that come into the presence. You know, Peter could have not come off the boat and could have just been like, okay, it's Jesus and I'm too embarrassed and I'm not going back there. But there was that passion to come back into the presence of God. And we can do that in four ways. And I want to encourage you in your prayer life. Whatever your prayer life is like now, you might say, oh, you don't want to know what my prayer life is like. Or you might say, it's absolutely incredible. There's always more. We can never pray too much. We can never be in communication with God too much. We can never be in his presence too much. But he calls us in there. And prayer is not a one-way thing. Prayer is a two-way thing where God speaks to us where we just make take ground, where things change when we pray. And I want to encourage you, whatever your prayer life is like, just get into that presence of God again and to pray and to ask him and communicate. That's how we communicate with God. It's just talking to God and you can do it wherever. Take off the religiousness of it and get in the presence of God, how you talk to your husband or your wife. Get in his presence with prayer. He can restore you. He can forgive you. He can set you on that path again for passion and zeal for his house. And then get into his word. There's so much in the word of God. You know, we have so much access to it now. Years ago, you'd have to get the the brick and mortar Bible down, wouldn't you, to read. But now we've got it on our phones. We can listen to it. We can have people speak it to us. We have no excuse not to be in the word of God. And this is where our foundation is found in his word. This is just amazing, the word of God. He speaks to us. Isn't it wonderful how you can read the same passage of scripture 10 times and yet each time you see something different in it because it's a living, active word. It's sharp and it guides our lives. We need this. We need to be lined up with the word of God. So get into his word and then worship. Our worship. Do you know, nobody can give your worship to God except you. And we can worship in all sorts of ways. Yes, corporate worship is wonderful, but the best worship services are you and him. It doesn't matter what you sound like, if you're singing. It doesn't matter how you worship, but it's your worship to your God and to live a life of worship as well. That every day is a worship service when we're worshiping God and putting him in that highest place because he is the director of our path. He is the one that we live for. He is our all in all. He is our Jesus. So get into worship and then to serve, to use the gifts God has given you to use the uniqueness of what he's called you to do on this earth. It would be sad to end our lives and think, I never fulfilled all that God called for me to do because I was either fearful or I let my mind get in the way. I was too scared to step out. I wasn't available enough. But we're called to live a life full of purpose and gifts and the hope that God has put in us so we can serve. Let's develop what's pla- what he's placed in you. And nobody missed out of the gift list. Nobody has. Everybody has a purpose and a gift from God. In 1 Peter 4 verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So start to serve. Start to use what you've got. Many of you know what you're gifted to do. I know that. And you're using your gifts and it's brilliant. But some people don't know. But I would say start with something. Just start somewhere. I mean, hands up, can you make a cup of tea? 
Yeah, can we make a cup of tea? Yeah, brilliant, we can serve. Can we help unload a van? We can serve. Can we pray for someone? Yes, we've got that in there. You know, I want to call out the giftings that are in each of us. We're all called to serve and we're all called to use our gifts. You know, let's be productive in finding out what God's got for us. Let's get in the prayer closet. God, what do you want me to do with this in this season? What does it look like? Because assignments change, but purpose always remains. And so I want to call out some of the gifts for you today. So I want to call out the apostles and the evangelists and the pastors and the prophets and the teachers. I want to call out the gift of administration that's in this house, the gift of discernment, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, of helps is a gift, the gift of knowledge, miracles, prophecies mentioned twice there. So that's a, that's the thing. Why has God said that twice? Because we're called to prophesy. We need prophecy in our churches. The gift of teaching, the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of wisdom. Wisdom is a gift and the gift of encouragement that we too can be like the Apostle Paul and encourage others in our gifts. Even when life isn't going in the direction we want it to, we can step out of our bubble of what's happening and I can encourage you in your gift and say, come on, be all that you're called to be. You know, as Dan shared earlier, Jesus is coming back for a passionate bride, for a bride who is fully flowing in all that she has been called to be, his wonderful church. You know, I've never been to a wedding where everybody's dressed up and ready and there's that moment of the arrival of the bride. It's a moment, isn't it? You stand to attention and the bride's there. But have you ever been to a wedding where the bride is at the back of the church and she's like not dressed for the occasion? That she just put any old gardening clothes on? That she's just standing there and she's like, can't even be bothered to walk down there. Late, oh yeah. And everybody's staring at the bride. It'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? And if she literally shuffles down like, here I come. It doesn't happen because there's a moment as the bride is waiting to go to the bridegroom and there's that moment where the bridegroom turns around to look for his bride as she walks down the aisle to meet. You know, that's the passionate bride that Jesus is after. He's looking for his bride that is flowing in all the gifts and all the ministries that he's put on his bride. He's looking for a bride that is so passionate for his name and so passionate for the world out of the walls of the church to see flowing in healing and the miraculous and the power of God. He's after a passionate bride that will speak the full gospel of his word. He's after that bride. And we are that passionate bride, a zealous bride, who've always got the name of Jesus on our lips who are always ready with the truth you know how many times have you been in a situation in what I would call a, a normal moment in Tesco's or you're at your job or you're at um, a family gathering and somebody is going through something what's your first put a call I'm going to pray for you you know I'm going to step in. I'm going to do what Jesus would do. Or do we think, oh, I should have prayed at that moment. No, pray. Be at that moment. Be the church. Be fiery. Be passionate with the word that we have within us. Let's live it well and live it large so that people on the outside will be the ones that come on the inside. You know, come on. Let's flow out of this onto this estate, the Riverside Estate. It's not by chance we're here, is it? But God wants to do something with the people that live on these roads and that we're his passionate bride, his zealous bride for him. Let's be that bride. So I want to encourage you this morning that God loves you with such a passion, that he calls you into his presence, that he wants more of you. What can you bring to the table you bring you? 
And then let him blow on the embers of your heart to reignite the giftings and the calling and the purpose that he's called for you. Because you matter, you count, and your church needs you. Imagine a church where everybody is flowing in their gifting, where everybody is passionate, where we lift one another up when we're going through stuff, where we encourage one another. That's the church I want to be in, and I believe we can be that church. So I encourage you this morning.